in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode seven. Joining me today is my wizard co-host, Patrick Pister. How are you doing today, Patrick? Yeah, very well, Mark. How are you? Awesome. And we're at the Tipco Energy Forum having a great time, and we have a guest. Yes, we do. We have Phil Unger from uh, Kadion. How are you doing, Phil? Doing well. Yeah, good to have you join us. Yeah, nice to be here. And sorry, yeah. you just told us what Kadion stands for. Can you tell us again what, uh, what, where the name comes from? Absolutely. So Kadion is, uh, is my company. It's a combination of two words. It's cadence, meaning rhythm, and eon, meaning a billion years. So it's about how do you get that rhythm uh, with, I guess, data and analytics. I think that's very cool. And where are you all located? We're in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. All right. So just a short three-and-a-half-hour flight to yeah. Houston. Yeah, <laughs> northern neighbors. So what do you think about the weather here? Oh, I, I stepped out to take a call and it's, oh man, it's warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I said earlier, we're at the Tipco Energy Forum. Uh, this has been a great show. This is our second year here. Um, if you're looking at big data and analytics and you're in the oil and gas industry, you need to come to this. Uh, what do you think the turnout so far, Phil? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, this is the second time I've been here. I'm, I've skipped one year, but I presented at it in 2000 and. Uh, 14, uh, miss 15, but uh, yeah, 400 people strong at least. Um, I think there was more here than the last time I was here, but really good and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good material always presented at this event. Yeah, it's, um, I haven't got final numbers yet, but I think they sold this one out, which in a low crude price environment, that speaks a lot. Yeah. And Lots the demographics, it's a huge mix of people. It's, its you know, male, female, young, old. There's a, a lot of young, hungry guys uh, yeah. here at this conference. Lots of pes- or optimism and maybe a bit more optimism than pessimism these days. Yeah, which is nice to hear. Yeah, I, I feel the energy in the crowd, too. It's a, at lunch today, we met a bunch of young people, um, a couple of young engineers, and they're, like, fired up, ready for the price to come back. Just a little, not a lot, just a little, and they're ready to hit the ground hard. And they're also hungry to show their skills. Um, Typico's got a, a hackathon going on uh, tomorrow afternoon that I, all the young guys keep talking about the hackathon, the hackathon, and, and being able to show their skills using Spotfire and the, and the tools that Tipco has. Yeah. So, Patrick, what are we going to talk about today with Phil? Phil, we are going to talk about uh, loss prevention. And Phil and I had a conversation a little earlier. My background, when I think of losses, I think of physical losses. It's an immediate loss of containment, loss to environment. Um, I guess losses in this case, in my world, would be more more relatable to downtime, the non-productive time that you're looking at. Yeah, it's uh, what we're talking about, production loss management in, in this uh, use case. It's really about, it's beyond the drilling. We're now under production. And there's the planned outages, which would be the turnarounds that happen. And then there's the unplanned outages, which would be for whatever reason, something broke down during the day. But the executives really want to track, like, how are they doing uh, consistently? Because especially now with low commodity prices, you would think that there's the, you know, people want to cut back. It's quite the opposite. People are producing more and more, and they have to do that to actually uh, cover their bills. Yeah, so how do you plan for these outages? How do you, how do you schedule it, you know, however many months in advance that you're looking at? 
Uh, well, we don't. We, it's, that's all. We work with the, the customers that do, right? And all the dashboard reflects this. I mean, here's the problem they have, is they have very fragmented data from multiple sources that they're pulling in to look at, you know, oil production in this case, because it's uh, oil sands, it's steam-assisted gravity drainage. So they also look at their SOR, their steam oil ratio. So barrels of steam, uh, you know, how many can they produce in a day equals how many uh, barrels of oil they can produce. So they're interrelated. And uh, there's the traditional turnarounds that people, I think, do at, uh, you know, plants once a year kind of thing or whenever they need it, whatever their maintenance says. But then there's some, for whatever reason, things break. And then they've got to shut right. the plant down. And those, uh, nobody necessarily knows what the real impact of that is. And because information is coming in uh, from so many different sources, how do you un unify that into a single pane of glass? And how reliable is that information that's coming in? Uh, Mark and I had a conversation. Some of the some of the data sources I used to use when I was when I was working on the upstream side, I would say was 80% accurate. And then a lot of the filling in the gaps that, that I would use would be word on the street or somebody knows somebody, oh, that day rate's actually this or this rig was down at this time. So how accurate is the data that you're actually putting into these models? I, we're pulling from source systems. So the data is the data, whether you like it or not. Um, and it's based on the quality of the system. It's more accurate than spreadsheets. In fact, when uh, with the last customer we went through on this, we basically discovered some conversion factors that were wrong, or they were using two different ones. So they weren't even standardized on what conversion factors were. So it forced us to have the conversation with them. Well, which one do you want to use? And how big of a difference were those two? Uh, it was. They were. It was substantial. Yeah. Like it was. I, w I won't say it's uh, substantial in that if you're off by one or two percent, it's a, it's a big deal. So, and I can't remember what the exact percentage was, but let's, let's put it this way. It made a difference and they were happy that we found it. it going through that information and that's part of it, right? You get into the Excel hell or whatever you want to call it. And then a lot of people don't even understand how they're manipulating their data or what business rules are being applied because it's a formula based. You see a cell, you don't necessarily see the formula. And is everybody using the same formula? It could vary from engineer to engineer. So this way, it's pulling it all into a single dashboard. All the information is coming in, the same formulas, and everything's being applied. Yeah, I've seen it before where the company as a whole had the same Excel template, but somebody years ago changed one formula and one version of it, and nobody ever caught it. So everybody that copied that template did had that same error in it, and it just peripherated through to enterprise. And it oh, takes, yeah, and yeah I mean, the problems get exponential. Yeah, and nobody ever catches it because it's in Excel. Exactly. And, and, you know, the, the great thing about analytics and where it's going and making the data actionable is we're moving away from those spreadsheets and it's actually providing more transparency into the data. Um, back in the days when you used to report earnings and one of the big ones for oil and gas companies is production and even getting into predictive. What am I going to produce this year? What am I going to produce next year? If you're publicly traded, you put a number out to the street, your shareholders are going to uh, make sure that you're accountable. And if you're doing that with bad data, well, that's a bad news story because you may not be, a, you're not set up for success. Maybe you're saying that you're going to produce more, but actually you're going to produce less. And I don't want to stay on spreadsheets too much, but how much, <laughs> how much resistance do you get when you try and come in and say, you need to put Excel away and, and look at what we want to want to move you to? Oh, it's, yeah, it's organizational change management, <laughs> OCM, and not OCD. But it's, you know, people are OCD with their spreadsheets. Like once they're used to it, uh, we had one customer that had 64 tabs in a spreadsheet. Wow. And we actually rationalized that into some dashboards. And it was the Smith & Wesson. It's, you're going to pry the spreadsheet out of my dead cold hands, right? <laughs> but until we could actually show them 
you know, the business rules and where they were now and how are they able to access them uh, more easily and actually share this information more broadly within the organization, then that was the win. I mean, that's how you have to, there, there has to be something in it for them because really, in some cases, you're replacing, in their minds, something that already works. So why are we going through this exercise? Um, and if there's nothing there to lure them to go to something else, then, uh, you know, it's a, it's, to them, it's, we're busy people. Uh, we don't have time to kind of go through this stuff. But in the end, once they start to go down the journey, and I always call it a journey, um, they're like, then they start to crave it. And it's like, okay, so if I can do this now, can I add this? And can I add this? And then, then the snowball starts to roll down the mountain. I think Mark said yesterday, if you could have the advanced analytics software behind a user interface that looked like Excel, I think you'd make a fortune <laughs> in this industry. Yeah, yeah. well, we actually, we actually have a data prep partner that we work with as well, a company called Paxata, and that's exactly their approach. <laughs> as it's, it looks like a spreadsheet, but it's actually allowing people to correct and profile data. So. Yeah, and if, if you're listening to this podcast and you're outside the oil and gas industry, you don't get the Excel joke. Let me just explain it. This industry loves Excel. It's been using Excel for, forever and uses Excel to make monumental multi-billion dollar a year capex decisions but you know phil i want to back you up a little bit because you, you brought up something that i didn't think of the fact that if you're using your analytics correctly you actually could maybe affect something as big as shareholder value oh absolutely yeah um we've seen it and i just i was in a presentation this morning where people are you know that's one of the key drivers especially right now in these lean times is how do we get the best data to these executives, to the CFO that has to make a decision on how many people can he keep, uh, you know, what's how the assets are doing, those types of things. So, and it's for us in this time, it's been very much about executive type dashboards and, and operations. How are they running? And when somebody has a question, they, they can get an answer. It's not calling the gentleman that authored the spreadsheet, right? It's like, here it is, it's on the screen, let me pull up the- Oh, he doesn't work here anymore. Yeah, <laughs> well, or that too, right? And well, knowledge management's a huge uh, challenge for a lot of companies because they, so many people have been, been cut. It was just like, you know, you're in this area and do you seem to fit the profile for the people we're looking to get rid of and you're gone. So how do you actually pick up on all that knowledge? So. Yeah, that knowledge transfer thing is huge. It's also huge in the HSE part of this business. Uh, before we start having that conversation, I think it's about time, Patrick, we uh, do our Red Wing Tip of the Week. So Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Um, and this is a simple one that I started doing because I started working on ships. And when you go on, out on ships, the two things you need to have, one, a knife, which most rigs you're not allowed to have anymore, and two, a flashlight. If you've ever worked in a job site that is a complete steel structure and you're three decks below, you lose power, it is pitch black. Even if you're in an office building and you lose power nowadays, if you're working nights, it's going to be black. You can't rely on your cell phone to have enough battery life to, to get you out. Have a flashlight. Just keep it in your pocket. Keep it on your bag. Keep something to, you know, any any type of low light situation, whether it's a self-defense or safety or how to get out of somewhere, you want to be able to see where you're going. So it's, it's, it's real simple. It, it's hard finding a flashlight that's small enough to keep in your pocket all the time, but it, it's going to provide enough light to get you out of there. But that's my suggestion. Keep a flashlight. And I actually don't have mine on me today, but I normally always have a flashlight on me. Yeah, you know, I have a real-world story about that. So I had a chance to actually tour a pipeline, a pipeline company in Louisiana. And uh, it was getting dark, and it was time to head out. And uh, we got to the gate, and somebody had locked the gate behind us, not knowing we were on site. And it was so dark um, that even with the truck lights, because of where the padlock was positioned, we couldn't see to put the key in. Luckily, I had a flashlight on me. So you're right, always try to carry a small light with you out in the field. You never know when it may be useful. Absolutely. 
All right, so back to Phil. Um, let's kind of talk a little bit about HS&E. Um, mm -hmm. Because um, Big Data has made a, a showing there, and I know that y'all have some experience with that. Yeah, it's uh, some of our customers, uh, health and safety, uh, they say is even higher than profitability. Oh, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. And the reason why they say that is because if they can't operate safe, they can't operate, plain and simple. Um, so, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot that goes into it. We've talked to customers that are getting into geofencing to make sure the welding truck can't get parked by where there's flammable materials. Uh, so they're using all sorts of uh, techniques and tactics there. Uh, permits, as soon as you go through the gate, they, they say, okay, you can only be here, those types of things. There's a, there's a number of different things that we're seeing, but even when incidents happen, um, how do you combine all that knowledge, right? How do you actually get that data to a dashboard so that people can look at it? And unfortunately, sometimes it's retro retrospective, retrospectively, but it's, it's really to say, hey, this happened, this could have been prevented, Here's what's the education we now have to do uh, with with our teams. So there's there's a number of uh, you know I think standard uh, key performance indicators around health and safety. Um, I've been in boardrooms and organizations where they it's zero like zero tolerance for for any incidents. That's their goal for the year, and that's a corporate goal, and that's something that they're bonused on. So if anybody gets injured out in the field, so they're certainly uh, measuring that uh, actively. So yeah. we've, we've been involved with conversations and looking at dashboards for the, these people. What we're also finding is it's the combination of structured information coming from databases and systems, but it's also unstructured because there's incident reports. There's, uh, you know, what happens if type things, if this incident occurs, what's the instructions? Who, do, who needs to be notified? It's that whole breakdown of there's a, an incident occurred, what's, you know, the process that I follow and how do I make that available? to the people that are at the plant uh, for that to happen. So among the companies you service, do you see a, a consistent definition of what is an incident, what's a drop, what's a hurt, what's a, um, or, or, is it, or is it pretty wide? No, it's pretty consistent. Like uh, I can tell you from in the province of Alberta, uh, occupational health and safety, or what we affinitively call OHNS, have really done a great job. Um, I mean, even I got the opportunity to tour a SAG-D plant that does about 100,000 barrels a day. And even before I could actually walk on site, like you get off the bus, you walk into the safety training or trailer and basically get uh, an hour and a half orientation before you go further. You don't get to go on site without that orientation. So they've done a really good job of getting their arms around it and standardizing it. I think that there's maybe a little bit of ambiguity from company to company, but for the most part, it's uh, they're trying to standardize it as much as they can. That's great. And how well do they? How well are they at sharing not just the information that something happened, but after an investigation is done and they come up with a, a root cause and a solution, how well is that information transferred out? It goes back into their education. So with their safety training, back to the safety briefing, um, but is that sent out to the other companies in the industry as, as a notification? Like, do they collaborate? Yes. Yeah. No, they, uh, <laughs> not that I've seen. Like, I think it's all, there, there isn't really that I've seen so far a reason to collaborate. It's kind of, that's all internal information. It's kind of private as well, right? Nobody really likes to talk about, uh, like, they do have incidents, but the detail is pretty, pretty guarded. Because everybody wants to be known as operating the, mo the most safe. Right. And, you know, let's face it, today's day and age, uh, I'd, uh, I actually was a roughneck when I was 18. I was, I was on a single drilling rig, and I can tell you that safety has changed dramatically since that ha has happened. Um, so I think 
now it's how do they internalize it and how do they make sure that they're they are that safest operator out there uh, and they, they, I think they talk about it from the statistical pr perspective or maybe even like financials it's reported on a year by year but they don't necessarily get into the details yeah and Mark and I were talking about this that it when an incident happens it's sent out as a, as a newsletter or you just get phone calls and texts. So the industry is going to find out when an incident of substantial, a right. substantial incident happens. But what I don't see is the follow-up that, yes, there was an incident that caused this type of injury. This is the results of the investigation. And this is what we did to fix it. That's where I see the companies really guard their information because yeah. in the, in social media and how connected everybody is, you're not going to be able to hide that you, a guy lost his finger or lost his life, that that information is going to get out there. It's the follow-up that I think is, provides the value that doesn't get shared. Agreed, and I think that the, you know, this whole notion around pipelines and how safe they are like to the environment and, and those kinds of things. It's, there's been too many incidents where people haven't gotten that education to say, okay, so an incident happened, this is, you usually get that, and then you usually get, well, this is how much has been spilled, but what's the remediation? How long did it take to, that's, it seems like news media tends to sensationalize the fact that something's happened. They're not really even interested in hearing how it was yeah. remediated, right? And then I think that onus has to go back on the oil and gas companies to educate, you know, people in the community and the industry that, uh, you know, things happen. Uh, even with all this extra health and safety, people are still dying. Still, people are still getting killed. You're taught you're in an industry where the where pressure is incredible. Like the the amount of foot pounds uh, per inch is just. And everything's heavy as well. It's all weight. And, and getting heavier, it's... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and of, of course, then it's... We're talking about oil, and, uh, you know, so it's a commodity, and it's flammable. So there's... It's a dangerous, you know... It's controlled, but it can be a dangerous business. Yeah, so it's um, it's actually in the U.S. this year, uh, it's actually safer to work in the oil and gas industry than it is to be a realtor. <laughs> Not quite sure what's going on with the realtors. The point I'm making is every year we make it safer and yeah. safer. And one of the ways we make it safer and safer is actually looking at big data sets. I know a large refiner here in the U.S. Um, that accidentally had collected a bunch of data every time they had a turnaround on their contractors. And they have a thing that's called Firewatch. So basically when somebody's welded into something, you have a third person to watch just in case something's catching on fire. And they accidentally, by doing some analytics, ran across the fact that this one particular contracting company had half the Firewatch uh, instance to anybody else. And so they tried to figure it out and tried to figure it out, and they went and talked to the company. And luckily, they had a, a young engineer that was in that um, interview, and he noticed that the colors of the safety vest for the contracting company were different than everybody else. So by using big data analytics, they figured out like, just by changing the color of the safety Firewatch vest, they improved performance by 50%. A human would have never been able to figure that out. It wasn't until they were able to crunch all that those big silos data that it pointed them in the right direction and they were able to figure it out. Wow. I think that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Small, small, small things matter, especially when it comes to safety. Yeah, it's something you never would notice walking by. He's got an orange vest, he's a red vest, he's got a green vest, a yellow vest. It's all a fire, fire watch vest. It's yeah, and on a turnaround, you may have, you know, 5,000 different contractors by eight different companies all on site, all doing this work all at the same time. So there's just no way that a person would have spotted that. Um, it's one of the things I love about this industry. It's give us a problem. We're a bunch of engineers. We'll figure out how to fix it. <laughs> so we're, we're going to slow down right here, pause. We're going to talk about Red Wing, uh, who puts this show on for us, which thank you, Red Wing. Um, when we talk about HS&E and you're talking about quality, Red Wing leads in quality of PPE. 
if you're worried about you and your guys and your company's uh, equipment out there keeping everybody safe, take a hard look at Red Wing. Their hearts are really in it. And I'm not just saying that because they're part of the show. We, Patrick and I have actually toured Red Wing's facilities. We know their people. We have a great personal relationship. They care. Um, so, you know, if you're in market for PPE, take a look at Red Wing. We're at the point where we talk about giving away the Red Wing offshore duffel bag. And if you've been listening to our show for any length of time, you've noticed we haven't given away any winners. And that's because we recorded five of them out of the gate. So we hadn't, didn't have any winners to pull. The way it's going to work is we're going to take everybody that's entered for the last five weeks, put them in a bucket, and we pull the name. And that week, and this that winner is Matthew Lehman. He's a GIS analyst at Noble Energy. So congratulations, Matthew. You won the offshore bag. And it's a really, really cool bag. Moving forward, we will pull one winner a week, but we're going to run a week behind. So for people that enter next week, it won't be till the following week that we, we pull that name. You can enter as many times as you want. Um, there's um, the All the legalese is actually at uh, redwing.com forward slash podcast. That's redwing.com forward slash podcast. And that's also where you go to uh, put your uh, entry in. So go do it. These bags are awesome. They're in high demand. And it's, uh, it's just a really cool thing. All right, so let's get back to Phil. So, Phil, uh, we've taken up a good bit of your time. I know you're busy at the conference. We're busy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for very much for having me. And it's uh, you know it was very nice to run into you guys last night at the welcome reception. And uh, happy to be here and talking about the things we're doing. Yeah, isn't that great about our industry? We can run into somebody, a stranger at a reception in the oil and gas industry. You become friends, and next thing you're on, you're on the podcast. Hey, Phil, if you get discovered by Hollywood, you owe Patrick and I something. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, Phil, if people wanted to learn more about you and your company, where should they go? Um, you check out our website at www.cadian.com. That's C-A-D-E-O-N.com. Um, that's the best place. You can also search LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. I don't think we're on Instagram quite yet, but we're, we're getting close to there. So yeah. yeah. And real quick, uh, your 30-second elevator pitch. If people want to know what your company does, how you can help them, because our audience is all people in the oil and gas industry. What would, uh, how would that, what would that sound like? Yeah, sure. Uh, so basically, do you know how people are you know, spending 60 to 80% of their time and life and at work looking for the information they need to do their jobs or run their families? Well, what we do is we come in and we introduce information capabilities it's like a you know one two three four kind of step process to help people organize their information and get the maximum value out of it in the shortest amount of time. And our motto is to turn our customers' information into money. So are you telling me that somebody like Anna Darko, who their engineers are looking for some standard, and they spend three or four different people searching for hours internally to find that you can actually shorten that time? Absolutely. Yeah. So Anna Darko and anybody else out there in the <laughs> oil and gas industry. If your people are out there looking for stuff, that's inefficiencies. And it's low crude price market. You don't need that. Reach out to Phil. See if he can help. He's a good guy. Yeah, and if you're not sure how KDN can help, go to their website. They've got a, they've got a blog and a, a bunch of free case studies that can really help you make that decision. All right, Phil, before you go, one last thing. Let's talk about cost. Yes, so what we've talked about loss management today, production loss management. We're actually saving our customers hundreds of thousands of dollars per year by looking at this. This is something that they haven't had access to before. And then on the health and safety side, you know, being able to uh, surface that safe, safety data quicker and learn from those incidents faster, that's also saving them uh, in the workers' compensation premiums. So if somebody gets hurt at your job site, your compensation premiums go way up. So you know, by keeping your safety values low, it's actually saving your your, your company money. It's certainly reducing their expenses. Yeah, that's it's definitely something HR and legal looks at, but you know, the operations guys need to be mindful of it too because that, that's going to hurt your operations. Uh, yeah, it's also in the hearts of everybody. Absolutely. Everybody wants their people to go home safe at yeah. night. Yeah. All right, Phil, thanks, man. Thanks a lot, guys. See you. Cheers.
let's uh, let's go from that to LinkedIn group. If you're listening to the show, please, please, please go join our LinkedIn group. The LinkedIn group is called um, Oil and Gas Global Network. We're up to about 1,500 members now. It's where we announce this show first. It's where we will announce future shows. Um, Patrick and I have some secret live events coming up. We'll announce them there first. It's all your peers, right? And because we moderate everything, every single person that joins and everybody, every post that's put out there, a real person looks at it. We don't have the spam issue. So join our LinkedIn group. It's kind of the sister uh, to this podcast and to, and to our podcast family. Yeah, and get involved. Ask questions. Share your knowledge. It's a, it's a community to help each other. Yeah. Um, and then if you listen this far, can you do me a favor? Please, please, please. We desperately need reviews. We're a brand new show. We're out of the gate. We're trying to hit that new and noteworthy on iTunes. And in order to do that, we need reviews. So literally, I don't care if you put two words like good show or not good show. Take a couple minutes, leave us a review, help us get climb the ranks in iTunes. Uh, um, you know, we really, really need our audience's help. You know, it takes all of two minutes. Uh, you know, just do it. Do me a personal favor and get it done. And share, share, share. Yeah, if uh, if you listen to the show, please share it, send it to any of your peers, your coworkers, families, uh, help us get the word out there. Like I said, this, the show is growing, it's going places, give us a little help and, and we'll get there quicker. Um, Patrick, we've went through a lot today, you ready to get out of here? Yep, let's do it. Alright folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond.